Good morning. One more time for them. That was beautiful. Gosh. You know, uh, we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our part in that is, is certainly about shaping and reshaping and reorienting our will, our thoughts, our mind, our emotions into the lordship of Christ, that the kingdom of God would come on our lives and reorient how we are and who we are in this broken world. We are faced with so much tragedy, not just uh, nationally, as we as Ken beautifully recognized in prayer and um, uh, globally, but on a local level, we, we're, we're losing people in a battle and preventable death. Even in our church this week, we had a time of remembrance of one of our own young people that uh, took his life. And we have the uh, opportunity to consider how we might respond to this word today and this um, work of the Lord in our lives day to day beyond just this, this sermon or this experience at church that we are invited to consider the kingship and the kingdom coming in our lives and not allowing our emotions to get in the way of that, not allowing our circumstances to prevent us from walking in victory and embodying the convictions that we believe to be true. We articulate convictions, but do we embody them the way that the Lord Jesus did and does? So, a verse that has been central to my wife Jenny and I for a number of years, and we even wrote our vows around this verse, is uh, uh, Proverbs twenty-one twenty-one that says, "He who pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor." Finding life as God intended, by way of righteousness and right living, we're going to talk about this morning, and the love of God that reshapes your mind and your heart, that you would find prosperity of the soul. The way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act is prosperous, set free from self, um, liberated from the bondage of sin where we place ourselves at the center of our will, liberated from the control of someone else that we might be uh, subordinate to, uh, we might be um, the victim of, uh, of control and agenda and trying to please people beyond our uh, ability when we try to please somebody, we have to have somebody's approval, and we think that we do, we become their prisoner. So people, emotions, substances, whatever it is that is troubling your soul, or maybe it's somebody that you love and have prayed for for a number of years, knowing that God is faithful, and he's going to do his part, but you've got to do your part. I've got to do my part to be a vessel of light in a broken world. So the battle is real, and the battle is is treacherous and hard and sad but we have been invited to be people of promise people of uh, a difference uh, making a difference in this world so let's let's go to the word this morning and if you'd like to follow with me in the pew bible um, page 1120 and romans chapter 5 Before I read this, I'm, I'm gonna, you can go ahead and turn there. I'm just going to say a few more things. Through a vast sweep of human history, we're embraced in both Adam, which represents humanity apart from salvation, and Christ, who governs obedience, justification, grace, and life. 
So we have a choice where we would align our soul, our mind, our will, and emotions. As Christians, we should not see people and problems as a hindrance to our ultimate agenda and what we determine our will to be. We should see people as opportunities, opportunities to shape our hearts and perfect love in us the most. A lot of times we we see difficult people or circumstances as a source of defeat, and we say, you know what, Lord, I tried, so they're not changing. How am I to change if if they're not going to change? And I'm I I embody the fruit of the Spirit. They don't respond to that well. Our part is to simply be an ongoing change in their lives. And as they see authenticity in our lives, they will certainly consider the truth that we proclaim. But if we waver in that and we're, we're here today, gone tomorrow with our convictions, then is our message truly getting through to the heart? So again, are people hindering God's ability to shine in your life with grace, with hope and truth and love? So the essence of loving is giving. And for God so loved the world that he gave. So part of our, our lives should certainly include a contribution to the betterment of others, a contribution to the betterment of society and how we might affect people in a broken world, that we would be a reflection of the hope that we live by. So one of the Holy Spirit's distinctive ministries is to pour out God's love into our hearts, and this, this initial outpouring remains a constant flood. It's like holding our cup that overflows up to a waterfall of God's grace and love. It just continually overflows with no evidence that it will end anytime soon. Objectively in history and subjectively in experience, God has given us grounds for believing in his love, the work of Jesus on the cross, and how this affects our hearts or doesn't. So the evidence is there. The evidence is ongoing in in creation, ongoing in humanity, and unchangeable in the word of God that is forever Yesterday, today, and into eternity, the word of God inscribed on our hearts that we're invited to live into with a fullness of joy and compassion and love that just doesn't make sense in the flesh. So I'm going to tell you a quick story before I read the word. Um, I'm an ongoing work of God's grace. I I by no means have arrived and got it all figured out. I, I lean on the forgiveness of God, the mercy seat, and the throne of grace daily. Uh, as God transformed my life about 16, 17 years ago when I proclaimed him to be Lord of all and Lord of my, my life, he would send me into a mission of reconciliation. He would, he would invite me to journey with him on, into the broken world we live in and pull people out of this cycle of despair. So throughout these the number of years and having worked in, in ministry, a vocational ministry here for the last 11 or so in this neighborhood, um, God would point people out to me periodically and continually and say, hey, that person is your assignment. And I hope he does the same for you. And if if you don't feel you've been, been invited to be a missional person with an assignment, begin to pray about that and ask, who is it that you're not just interceding for, but who is it that God has called you to stand with, to sit with, to comfort? to sit with people in, in brokenness. So in this case, through the years, I had, I had a friend named Hugh 
who grew up in a in a, a household where all his needs were were met and some, and uh, he tragically lost his dad in his 20s and he could never quite get past this pain he allowed this pain to dominate his his mind his will and his emotions so the pain that was a temporary problem and one that would obviously need to be worked through we've all been faced with tragedy and it's a real thing you don't just move by it but the pain that he was faced with would become the center of his identity and would become something that would be a stronghold on all facets of his life. So Hugh battled with really hardcore alcoholism. And through years of being friends with him, a number of 20 years, he called me up one day and said, Hey, I'm, I'm over here at this house. Uh, it was here in Buckhead. It was a beautiful home. And he said, Would you please come pick me up? I, I need to go to the emergency room. So I picked him up. And I went into this house, and living in this house was a dad of three kids and a wife living in this beautiful home. They had everything they needed. And this guy got caught up in addiction to crack cocaine, and he lost everything. His family, his house, his house was in foreclosure. I go into this beautiful place, and it just looked like a dilapidated drug house. And I go into this situation, and living in there with Hugh was the guy who owned the house, and another guy who actually fought before 40,000 people, Sugar Ray Leonard, in the 80s. So this guy had a huge fall from grace, a huge fall from, from the worldly uh, material blessings that uh, the, the hard work might sustain for a minute, but not for a long time. So I go into this situation, and I... I Hugh had drank an entire bottle, a liter of vodka, and he was not doing good at all. And I rushed him down to Grady Hospital, and all the way down there, he was in and out of his mind. He was just crazy as could be. And I was willing to do that because I cared about this guy. But I was, I was nervous about this. I, was, I, was, I knew the guy, but he was not in his right mind, and he was out of control. So I, I bring him down to Grady Hospital. We walk in the door. There's a line out the door in the emergency room. They take one look at this guy and rush him back to the uh, treatment area. So I'm going to come back to the story about Hugh's life. But for now, consider throughout the reading of this text and consider in Hugh's life the fact that we serve a kingdom of the Lord or we allow our problems and our sin to become our central issue. So let's read in 1120, starting in verse 12 of chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespasses, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. 
but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for your work in our lives. Even when we don't see it, you are faithful, you are trustworthy. And this morning we open our hearts and minds to receive your truth that it might reshape our lives. Show us who is to be our assignment this week in Jesus' name. So, in the preceding chapter of Romans 5, we see that we have hope because we have been saved and reconciled. And in chapter 3, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The reason why our hope will never let us down is because God won't let us down. So, starting in, in verse 12, death came to all men because all sinned. We are not sinners because we sin. You've heard this before. It's not my own quote. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It's an inherent nature that happened at the fall when Adam and Eve decided apart from the most glorified, peaceful environment of perfect shalom in human history, they decided it wasn't good enough for them. So they acted independently of the Father's command Sin set into the world, and we inherently have received the punishment, the due punishment of death. Sin is not a coincidence. Sin is compelling power at work, both within our lives and outside of our lives. We live in a broken world where there is constant temptation. There is a constant voice similar to that of the serpent in the garden that says, did God really say that? And we wrestle with that and we justify and minimize and rationalize and project blame and use all these defense mechanisms to protect our agenda and put ourselves at the center of our lives. Even as believers, we do that. But God has created for us a a way to reorient and confess and reconcile back to his plan for us. Sin controls its subjects. Adam was the root, and we are the offshoot. We tend to think independently of God, again, placing ourselves at the center of our will. Total depravity means this, and there's a lot of theology in this text. I'm just going to be honest with you. I had a hard time with it. (laughs) I I spent hours reading through this and trying to prepare the word, and I'm going to tell you it's a bit lofty, and I'm doing the best I can to help you understand and really trust the the faithfulness of the word and, and Paul's Uh, the theology of Paul here and how incredible his uh, work is. But it is tough to grasp, and I I can't do it full justice in in, in total honesty. But I'm glad glad you're here, and thanks for trusting me. (laughs) So the contrast here is between 
Adam and Christ. And again, total depravity means that humanity is unable to save itself. And we live in this tension of Adam versus Christ, sin and death versus life and the resurrection to come. So Jesus Christ is the Lord of peace and he governs obedience, justification, and grace. So we tend to be defensive. And again, rationalization, minimization, projection, denial, uh, these things, we tend to allow those to guide our actions and position us at the center of our will. We can consider that Jesus is the governor of all things. He's the governor of obedience, justification, grace, and righteousness. These are gifts from God, and we need to receive them by turning our hearts to him and confessing our sins were necessary. In 13 and 14, death is central. Sin is not taken into account where there is no law. And death reigned. Death reigned even when people knew, before people knew why. The, the law was put in place as a measuring stick. That we can continually come back in a changing world in contemporary times with new ideas and philosophical truths. We can come back to the ancient path of the Lord. And we can place our feet there and walk obediently and see his kingdom, his economy, and his presence take full circle in our lives, taking root in our hearts, changing our attitudes, changing our our beliefs back to what always has been and what we can put our full confidence in. So in 1 Corinthians 15.45, Adam is called the last Adam. Understand this, Christ is not Adam's successor, but he's his redeemer. He's the final word of God. Though not part of the old, he redeems the old and the new. So Christ is the final Adam. And Christ is the Savior that is calling our names and has written our names into the book of life as we've placed our faith in him and confessed him to be the Lord of our lives. In verse 15 and 16 talks about the law and trespass and the gift of grace. Adam's sin resulted in condemnation, but Christ's gift prevailed over it and brought justification, reconciling us to God the Father. God's throne is a throne of grace and mercy. By the cross, we have been made righteous in the sight of God. It's important not to miss this. As we place our lives before the Lord and we lay ourselves as a sacrificial offering to the Lord, we, we profess Jesus as Savior. <clears throat> We've been made completely without blemish before the Lord through Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are set free. In Christ, our identity takes on a new mission. And we become the beloved, the forgiven, and the purposed in Jesus' name. In verse 17... We reign in life, and this to me is the most central and impactful and power-giving truth in this entire text. We reign in life. Grace enables us to live out what truth calls us to. The grace of God, the gift of God, the undeserved mercy and forgiveness and love, in spite of our sin, the sinful nature that we inherited from Adam, and our willful decision to act independently of God, we have been giving given a grace that covers all, a love that says, in Christ we are set free. And in that, we uh, have the chance to 
walk in freedom and walk in victory and walk with a clarity of purpose. And that's the thing. The happiest, most productive people have clarity of purpose. And when our purpose is bigger than ourselves and is sourced, its origin is heaven, we can be sure that we will go up and join him as he returns and brings back the saints to their eternal place in the new heaven and the new earth. For if by one man's trespasses death reign, I'm in verse 17, through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We rule as kings with Christ. We have a kingdom authority. We have been seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And we have a place in heaven, eternal security. And if you're not there and if you're still wondering what all this means and, 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 and why should I believe and what's in it for me, it's important to understand that our decision for Christ should really be a, a decision of sacrifice and self-surrender and not a decision of what's in it for me, like the bargaining nature that we live in and this culture that we live in, what's in it for me. But we realize that God died for us, that we needed a Savior to make us right. And we needed a Savior to position us for eternity with the Father. So don't ask what's in it for you. Ask what's in it for, for me to lose. What's in it for me? What are the consequences of a decision apart from God? We know what they are in the flesh because we deal with the consequences of sin in this world. But there is a consequence eternally that we must consider. And that is eternal separation from the Lord himself if we decide to not accept him as Lord and Savior. So to be human is to stand at this crossroads of decision and to, to continually battle with temptation and battle with placing ourselves at the center of our agenda and seeing people as problems and opposition of our will. In verse 18, and almost in closing, the trespass and condemnation versus righteousness and justification. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. All men equals the faithful versus the universalist understanding where in this verse they think that all men means that all men are saved. But, but if you, you read this in the entirety of his context, you see that Paul is talking about those who have made the decision for Christ by faith the righteousness of God and have chosen to be empowered by the righteousness of God. It's the faithful and the righteous that are all men in this context. So reconciliation and justification belong to God, belong together. Reconciliation and justification belong together. God established peace between us and himself. This peace with God is the highest need in our human life. Peace is a universal human obsession, whether it's international, industrial, domestic, or personal peace. Apart from the peace of God, the shalom of the Father, we have nothing. But with it, we have everything we could ever want and ever need. In verse 19, judgment and condemnation, one man's disobedience, uh, obedience, many were made righteous. The obedience of Jesus in the wilderness won, 
what Adam's disobedience in the garden lost. So until we stand in grace, we can't truly see our sin as it is and its effect on us until we experience the goodness of God, until we understand the fullness of God's love, we can't truly see our sin for what it is. So there, there's an there's a equation there that, that is tough to figure out in life, but there is um, a continual invitation. If you have somebody in your life, who's, uh, in your world or your family who's lost, who's, who's suffering, who's dealing with, with questions and skepticism, never give up on them. No, knowing that God is faithful and God is a God of mercy and grace and, the, and the, the, throne of, the throne of grace is something that we can look forward to. The throne of grace is something that we can boldly approach with confidence, knowing that God loves us and he loves all of his creation and that we are to be a reflection of him in this broken world. So have you taken time to thank God for your blessings, considering his gift and grace and righteousness in your life? And in closing, I'm just going to give you three simple points of application here. If we are to reign through life with the Lordship of Jesus Christ, they're going to bring this up on the slides. The application is this, a lifestyle of confession, humility, and repentance. Confession is, do we take the time to self-assess and take an honest look at our lives and what our motive and what our will and what our agenda really is about? Is it rooted in the love of God or is it rooted in the sinful nature and the love of self. So you know the verse in John 1, 9, if we confess our sins one to another, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There's a cleansing that takes place. There is a, a wiping the slate clean. There is a guilt and a shame that is dealt with where there is a lifestyle of confession. Humility is a second uh, part of reigning in life and the lordship and the kingdom mindedness of a surrendered life to God, reigning as a co-heir eternal. Understand this quote. Humility starts with subordination to God, denial of self, and the choice to follow Christ, dependent of grace, where we receive correction, not as rejection. It's easy to lose your humility when somebody corrects you or, or speaks a word of truth to you or maybe it's a prophetic word or, or something. It's easy to get defensive and, and throw up all the defense mechanisms I mentioned. But we know that God is doing a work in our lives where we drop our guard and we allow somebody to speak a truth into our lives and we receive it in our heart. We don't, we don't get defensive. And you know what? If it's not sourced and based in the truth and we, we have the ability to chew up the meat, spit out the bones, and keep moving, <laughs> right? So this quote, the emergence of po- postmodernism, British writer G.K. Chesterton, 1908. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed. The old humility made a man doubtful about his efforts, which might make him work harder. But the new humility makes a man doubtful about his aims, which makes him stop working altogether. And don't we see that day to day in our, in our lives and the lives of others, that people are debilitated by a temporary problem. And their problem becomes the center of their issue. And their identity becomes based in that problem. 
I was there. My friend Hugh was there. And ultimately, um, we aren't going to win that fight. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride, uh, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Psalm 149.4, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. And finally, confession, humility, and repentance. Repentance is confidence in God's love. Is critical to heart change. A confidence in the love of God reshapes our heart. A confidence that through the good and bad in life, God loves us unconditionally. Even if it doesn't make sense in the immediate pressures that we face, we can know that God loves us unconditionally. Be, to be sure of this love, to be, to be sure of the love of a spouse or a friend is marvelous, marvelously conducive to human fulfillment. To be sure of God's love brings even richer blessing. It is the major secret of joy, peace, freedom, confidence, and self-respect. So are you creating space in your life for confession, humility, and repentance? And if you are, you're probably understanding your invitation to reign as, an, as the, the, the chosen one of God, to reign in Christ with the power and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness that the Holy Spirit enables. But if you're not and you're living in this tension where your problems have become your problem and your sin becomes your identity and your sin becomes your reason to justify your unbelief or your skepticism. In closing, I'll tell a quick uh, finish the story of Hugh. Hugh went out to Oregon, and I forgot to mention that Hugh was a brilliant guy. He had every gift you could ever want. He would go into the, these opportunities where he would uh, compete in bar trivia. <laughs> you know, you go into the bar and he'd sit there, and there'd be all these frat guys in there that were teamed up and they're educated and, and ready to go and win this this pop culture bar trivia stuff. And he would go in there by himself and win first place over the entire crowd of people in any given place. And he did that to. Um, sustain his problem but ultimately Hugh was smart enough to go out to the west coast where he was in Oregon receiving the recipient of free health care and he was living out there for a long time and um, he called me up a couple years ago and he goes Rand I appreciate you walking with me through life and and the ups and downs of my journey he said I'm on the way to the ER and it's not good so the Ambulance came over there and picked him up, and two days later, Hugh died in the hospital. And I wanted more than anything for Hugh to come to the end of himself and confess, and I wish that he had. But we all have that opportunity to venture into a broken world and be the proclamation of faith and be the embodiment of our convictions and be a shining light in this dark world. And a a quick second story, my friend Larry who was living a similar path of, of Hugh, had, had, a, had an accident where he was cutting a tree down in his yard and a tree fell on him and crushed him. And he was looking, he told me this story. This guy was living a pretty reckless life. And he was looking down from the treetops on his lifeless body with the EMT workers working on him. God spared his life and he was able to 
survived that accident. He recovered through a number of surgeries and ongoing rehabilitation. And he, he realized at that point, and he told me this, he said, at the end of your life, you keep going. I looked down on my lifeless body and I was dead. And I, and, and I realized that when you, when you die and you leave the body, you're going somewhere. Larry was radically transformed by that experience. And he went on to be a leader in his church. He, worked, he works in ophthalmology, so he, he goes on medical mission trips to Venezuela um, a couple of times a year and has done this for about 12 years. So where are we in this journey as individuals and where are the people in our immediate influence, be it a person we walk by or be it a person in our lives that we worried about for a number of years? And are you willing to respond as the Lord of Lords has invited you to? So in prayer, I'm going to close and Robin's going to come up and, and share a beautiful song. Will you share in this kingship of Jesus Christ now? And if your answer is yes, then you will share in his resurrection. Lord, thank you that you have died for us and we get the opportunity to receive by grace your forgiveness, your mercy, and your love. Just fill us with your power and your presence this week. In Jesus' name, amen.